today I kind of doing a drawing together over the last few weeks of the messages uh, as to the concept of what a man, biblical picture of a man is, what a biblical picture of a woman, biblical picture of marriage. We uh, came and discussed the word complementarian last uh, uh, week or the week before, I can't remember now, last week I think it was, and uh, the idea of, of how God has put everything together. Sometimes we just we limit that word to just a husband-wife relationship. God has made us to, to complement, and it's not I, it's E, complementarian, to bring us together in such a way that we each have a role to play, and together we create a whole. And the same thing is true about the, the body of Christ. It's together we bring our gifts together. Together we create a whole. The whole body of Christ globally together creates a whole. It's an awesome thing to think about how God has orchestrated all of this. And He did it before the foundation of the world. He put this plan. He wrote the symphony, if you will, before the foundation of the world. And now we are playing the parts that He has given us to play. And one of the things that we, we deal with in our culture today especially, uh, and it's not one that's easy to talk on, it's called gender identity. Um, as soon as you, you say that in some places, you, you, you've got some people who automatically there's a wall that goes up and, and uh, you know, they're not sure what they're going to hear or, or if they want to hear what's going to be said. But the idea is uh, what's put to us is the question that was asked, and I love it when people come up with words that, that are difficult, uh, is gender identity malleable? Okay, the word malleable, it means to be pliable or actually to be a soft metal that can be pounded and shaped and, and molded into something. But the easiest picture for me is to use the idea of, of malleable as the idea of clay. You know, and so the idea is, is gender identity malleable? Can it be molded or is it got a definitive stance, place and part in God's kingdom and in his work? Or can it be multifaceted and 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 change over a season of time and can be remolded and molded again. And that's the question that was asked. And so what, what we're talking about is, I guess candidly, it's a sexual orientation. Uh, and uh, as we, we will say that sex of a person, in a biological context at least, is determined at birth. Now, some people will say any more because we've got all the, the things that we can do to determine sex earlier in the pregnancy and stuff like that. But what, we're, what we'll do is be a, a bit of a traditionalist here and say the baby is born and, oh, it's a boy, smack, you know, <laughs> or it's a girl. <laughs> and, and we have the identity established at that point. And up until the 60s and 70s, uh, the, the gender was determined... Your gender was determined by your birth sex. So if you were a male, a boy, your gender would be that of a, of a boy, of a man, growing up to become a man. If you were a female, your gender would be that of a woman growing up to be a woman. No woman would grow up thinking that she should be a man and no man would grow up thinking that she should be a woman. And these ideas of transgender issues. 
So up until the, like I said, until the 60s, that it was determined that you, you know, your gender and your sex would basically be what you were born as. Today, culturally, and legally for that matter, your sex is determined at birth, yes, biological, your, your boy, girl, depending on your anatomy, Okay, but your gender is something that you grow into and that you actually have a choice about. And what we're, we're talking about is, is that as you're growing up, the idea of being, uh, you might be uh, a male, but you're, you, know, you, you tend to to lean towards more feminine things, and, and you might even have a family that encourages that. And, and you become what some people use today as terminology as a, uh, a woman trapped in a man's body. It's frequently used as a phrase. Or the opposite, a man trapped in a woman's body. And so we want to express our lives according to our feelings, our emotions, and the way we feel about ourselves, not according to our sex, but according to the way we perceive emotionally and in a feeling context what our gender is. So the world would say, yes, gender identity is malleable. It is moldable. It's not fixed. It's what you want it to be. It's fluid is another term. Gender fluidity. It's fluid. Meaning that, it, and, and the, the picture is, here is male on one extreme, female on the other extreme, and you can be anywhere in between as to what you feel. You want to, how you feel, you identify yourself as to what you are. And, and so it's fluid is another word. I was thinking about who's in agreement with this in our culture. And certainly the LGBT movement is in agreement with it. But I was interested to find out and, and, and going through some things. In fact, one of them was just on the news again, not here too long ago. And last, I mean, in the last few days, the Boy Scouts of America are in agreement. You can be a girl who says, I'm a boy in my mind and join the Boy Scouts. Used to be you had to take your birth certificate with you to join the Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts, or Brownies. Now, you take a statement that says you determine what you are as a, as a gender. It's not what your birth certificate says. It's what you say and or your parents who sign for you say. And if you feel that you want to be identified as a female and you're joining the Boy Scouts uh, or, or Girl Scouts, that's okay. If you're a male wanting to be identified as a female, you can join the Girl Scouts. If you are a girl and you are in the opposite category, you feel you're a girl trapped in a, in a you know, in a, in a boy's body, uh, uh, you can join the, oh, I got it backwards again. You know, if, if you're a boy trapped in a girl's body, you can join the Boy Scouts. So, Boy Scouts of America, Girl Scouts of America are in agreement with this idea of the fluidity or the malleability of sexual gender and identity. Civil rights legislation is in agreement. 
I recall when my folks uh, had a, a small apartment complex and uh, they had to have an agreement with the city of, of San Luis Obispo basically had a, a deal as to renting policies. You had to be open to renting to any, and it says gender oriented orientation. So if a guy was coming in and, and was a homosexual or, or, or a female lesbian or whatever, you had no options. You had to rent to them. And, and so again, you have the legislation, the, the civil rights of these people. Now, I have to turn around and say, because of the, the, the makeup of our country, it's hard to single out a group of people and say they don't get any rights either. So don't misunderstand that. All I'm saying is, is that it's a battle zone as to how we look at this. Because what is happening is our kids are growing up today, especially if they're in public school, because the public school is teaching these same principles of gender identity as a fluid or malleable identity, you know, thing. And so they are, are being exposed to this from as early as preschool. And I have a, a set of books. I, I guess I've had them for 30 years or 40 years. It, it says you're either one or the other. And it's, and it's uh, to teach the, the kids in middle school about their sexual identity. You're either a male or a female. And gender and sex. Okay, I couldn't put that into a public school library. So we need to be aware of what is being taught because we have to look at what God's Word says about all of this as well. June 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriages in all 50 states. So states that, that didn't have that taken care of yet one way or the other, didn't matter. The U.S. Supreme Court said it's legal. So our court system, our legislative system, has all gotten behind this. Our public schools, our colleges, our universities are behind this. And some of the things that, I, that, that it brings about and starts to happen are kind of interesting as you look at this. I, I just I copied, I got this off of a site on, on the line. It says, Title IX is a federal law that makes sex discrimination illegal in most schools. Most courts who have looked at the issue have said that it includes discrimination against someone because they are uh, transgender or because they don't meet gender-related stereotypes or expectations. Several other federal and state laws also protect transgender students. Here are some of the rights you have under these laws. By the way, this is from a transgender site. So this is what they're doing. They're telling you here as a student, this is, and it's targeting kids online. Here are some of the things. You're right. You have the right to be treated according to your gender identity. In other words, how you see yourself. You have the right to that. That's true even if you haven't done things like changing your ID or getting medical treatment. And your school cannot require you to show proof of these things in, other, in order to have your gender respected. You have the right to be called by the name and pronouns that match your Gender identity. Now, there's a movement to change all the pronouns dealing with male and female 
And it's interesting. You can go online and look it all up, but it's just, it's, I don't know whether it's going to ever go anywhere or not, but as it stands right now, you have the right, you know, to be, to, to use, be called by the name and pronouns that match your gender identity. You have the right to be, uh, to not be bullied or harassed because you are a transgender or gender, uh, nonconforming, which I agree, bullying is wrong in any case, any place, any time. You have the right to use restrooms and locker rooms that match your gender identity, and you can't be forced to use separate facilities. In other words, if the school comes up with a separate facility for transgender, you can't be forced to use those. You have the right to, if you think you're a girl and you've got male anatomy, you have the right to go into the girl's restroom or the girl's locker room, vice versa. You have the right to get the same opportunities to learn and participate in school life as anyone else, no matter your gender, including your gender identity or expression, or your race, nationally, or disability. You have the right to dress and present yourself according to your gender identity. You have the right to protect your privacy and choose who you will tell or don't tell about being transgender. You have the right to join or start an LGBT student club, like a GSA or a Pride Alliance, Your school is not allowed to ban LGBT student groups or treat those groups differently from any other student groups. So we are in the midst of this as a Christian organization, as a Christian people. How do we view this? How do we come into this and and, and walk through this in our culture today as Christians? And so for me, it's it's starting with something that we have to to do and in I, I suppose at some point you, you, you wonder how many times you'll, you'll hear me say this or use this scripture reference, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where I have to start with this. And that's uh, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed by God, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So I start, as I look at this issues, and all issues, with the understanding that the Word of God is His Word. It is God-breathed. He inspired the writing of the Word. When I go to the Word, I'm not reading something that is just simply put together by a, a group of men who are trying to recall the past. What I am reading is what God put into their thinking to bring down to pen and paper, if you will, and to write in such a way that we have a lasting legacy of God's Word with us today. It is God-breathed. When Paul writes this, uh, all of the New Testament wasn't even uh, available yet, and and he was you know, looking at the Old Testament as well. And by the way, there's, there's some question as to do Christians, are we obligated to look at the Old Testament and come underneath that in any way? And the answer to that in a general sort of way is yes. In other words, all the laws, all the things that God wrote are, are His mind on how we should be. I always use the picture, and you know, those of you who have been around me long enough have heard it at least a couple of times, and that's the picture of if you borrow somebody's ox. God spells this out. If you borrow your neighbor's ox to work in your yard... And, and plow, and it drops dead, you owe your neighbor an ox. Just that simple. 
transfer that to today. If you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower and it drops dead <laughs> while you're mowing your lawn, you owe your neighbor a lawnmower. It's just that simple. Yeah, we're still under those same principles. And we should look at it that way. But coming to this, we're talking about male and female and, and trying to, to wrestle with this. We start with the understanding God's Word is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching. Meaning in every circumstance that we can bring it to, it is profitable for teaching. It has insight. It has answers. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, in right living in the context of what God says is correct. To make us competent, equipped for every good work. In other words, it's not necessarily competent and equipped to do everything the world would like to see us do, but competent and equipped to do the things God has a purpose for us to do. And you may be equipped for something that I am not equipped for. We have different gifts. We can get into all the sidelines of that. But the reality is, is that God equips us. His Word equips us. And some of us have gifts to teach. Some of us have gifts to minister. Uh, some of gifts of mercy and, and different aspects of who we are. And together, when we use those gifts as a body together, we are a complementarian group to each other. We, we're bringing it together in that way. What we're looking for today is a biblical understanding of the body. And when I say the body, I don't mean the body of Christ. I mean the body, flesh and bone, male or female. And again, we're tying many scriptures together that we've gone over the last few weeks uh, with this particular target in mind. Our first stop is going to be one that we've been using the last few weeks, starting in Genesis chapter 1. And even though it's repetitive, I believe it's necessary in order to establish this picture. God's breathed Word, Genesis chapter 1, talks about creation. And how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to talk about all that He does. In verse 26 of chapter 1 it says, Then God said, Let us plurality of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what's referenced there. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, notice it says them, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Man is created to be, and it's a phrase that you'll find in a lot of, of, of writers uh, that write Christian commentaries and, and articles, image bearers of God. We are called to be what for some people might be the only glimpse of God they ever see. You've heard the phrase probably more familiar with it. You may be the only Jesus someone ever sees or the only Word of God that someone ever sees. And so it's extremely important to understand who you are. You are created in the image of God. But all people, all men and women 
are created in the image of God. Even if they don't acknowledge God, they are still created in His image. They were to have dominion. That means rule. They were in charge of the earth. They were co, in other phrases, called co-regents. They, they were in charge as the image bearers of God on earth. As you go through creation, um, you, ha- you go through the, 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 the first five days and after the end of each day it says, and it was good. But as you get down to the end of the sixth day and God says, it's very good. This is after male and female are created. In other words, the picture is complete now. This is good. Very good. Now Genesis chapter 2 gives us the detail of that sixth day. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but the, the, the picture is that the needs of man are met in the garden. The garden is put together in such a way that all man's needs will be met in the sense of food, nourishment, water, the mist coming up from the ground. All the things that man needed was there to survive and to live in such a way as to glorify and honor God and it was to walk in relationship with God in an intimate way. We find when the, the trust is broken and, the, and God is looking for Adam, it says when he came in the afternoon, which was apparently, the, if you will, the custom, he expected to be walking with Adam and Eve. And instead it was, Adam, where are you? Because of the sin. They realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And it says they were afraid to be seen by God at that point. God hadn't changed. The circumstances of the garden, in a sense, hadn't changed. What had changed was they had. They had everything they needed in the garden. There's a mandate that comes that's actually recorded in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. The only way that happens is if there is a male and a female doing the role that God has appointed them to do. Obviously, men can't have babies. We need each other. It's a complementary thing again, even into the sexual relationship. And we have this, this picture of, of them having the children, bearing children, and, 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 and filling the earth was the plan. You have to see here clearly then that the sex gender for male and female were appointed by God and clearly established. The woman, female. The man, male. Gender identity. Man, male. <laughs> woman, female. And, and this was God's plan.
In the fall, we have Genesis 3. And I took some of this from Al Muller, uh, who is uh, uh, president of, of Louisville, Kentucky's uh, uh, Southern Baptist Seminary. And uh, took a little bit of an outline from an article that he wrote to, to fill in my gaps here. Uh, but he wrote, the sin of Genesis chapter 3, and I'm not going to go into all of the details with that. We, we are familiar with it. Corrupts God's good gift of the body. Sin corrupted God's gift. Good gift. It is very good of the body. To the point where they hide themselves from each other and from God. The judgment that enters in is death. In chapter 2, verse 17, God says, you can eat of any of the plants of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Die is a big word here because it's not just the idea of physical death, but it is the idea of dying spiritually as well. You will be separated from Me. No longer will we walk together in the garden like we have. Things will be different. There is a judgment that goes with this. You will surely die. Talking physical death as well, however. So what we have here is this picture. The complementary relationship has been corrupted. The concept of male and female have been corrupted at this point. In the fall. And the corruption continues to the point where we get to what Paul writes about and, and sees as, a, as, as the dilemma of the world in, in, in his time and, and probably a reference to all time before him uh, is, is Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the corruption that comes from the fall. Male and female no longer have a clear picture of God or each other or society. They exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals and creeping things. Now look at the consequences of this. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. In other words, 
opposite of what God designed and planned and built you know, into man's being. They abandoned God. They abandoned God's principles. Exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. What Paul saw was the overall picture of the corruption of the fall of man and to the degree that God is abandoned, man sees himself either as God or creates his own images of what he wants to call God and worship. But it's all done through the man. And as a result, the separation, the, 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 the roles that God had assigned in the Garden of Eden get blurred. It says women exchanging the natural relationship for unnatural. For men having relationship with men. Women with women. And he calls it something that is ugly and disdainful. The Scripture is very clear about how it feels about this context of transgender movement. It sees it as, as a absolute wrong. Now, I'm going to be very careful as I say this again because the other side of it is, is, is just as much as it is an absolute wrong, it's not any worse in the context of sin than the other things that he lists here of malice and, and bitterness and, and, and unkindness in the sense that sin is sin. It misses the mark. And therefore, we have a responsibility to be careful how we, we, we view the people that are involved in these things. Do we, do we look at them with God's eyes? He's disappointed. He's grieved. Yes. But I still see God reaching out to them. I still see God desiring them to, 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 to come close to Him. And, and so we as, as representatives of, 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 of the image bearer of God and our being restored in our relationship with God, we are to be the ones doing this, reaching out. We are not to be haters. And I want to be careful that you understand that because I've seen some, some churches that have done some despicable things in the name of God over the last decade in reference to how they deal with the, the homosexuality and the lesbian and the transgender movements and how they treat those people. And it's wrong. 
Can we embrace them as fellow members of Christ if they don't change? No. But can we embrace them as lost and needing God desperately just as much as any one of us has? Once we were His enemy and now we are seated at His table, what happened? The consequences of sin, as Paul writes it here, is is very, you'd have to say depressing. But we see it in the world around us. But the story's not done. God, in order to draw Himself into a relationship with us where He could restore us, redeem us, and bring us back into a relationship with Him, became flesh. He emptied Himself and became flesh in man, into the world, to serve man. Not only to serve man, but Philippians says, to die on the cross for us. What was created through Him and for Him and by Him was there to glorify Him, and yet He came and submitted to death on the cross so that he could claim the words on the cross, it is finished. The price of sin has been paid. There wasn't anything we could bring to the throne of God that wasn't painted in sin. And as a result, we had no way to approach His throne. But He said, I have a plan. Before the foundation of the world, The plan was in effect. Redemption of man was the plan of God from the beginning. He knew what would happen. He knew how it would happen, when it would happen. And at just the right time, it says in Scripture, Jesus Christ came and went to the cross for us. We have redemption. And it's also redemption of our bodies. Uh, In in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 23, um, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as the sons, the redemption of our bodies. Even though we have corrupt and even though we have done corrupt things through our flesh, God is saying, you will be restored. Even your body. I put here, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and I started singing that song and couldn't stop last night. We are a new creation. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Chapter one or First uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter fifteen, starting with the. Uh, let's see. We'll start with verse forty-two. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown imperishable, what is is raised, is imperishable. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is the first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also we are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of him, of, of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What a powerful picture. That's what it means to be redeemed. We're going to be image bearers again for, of, uh, for God, of Christ. It's, it's, what a powerful picture. So it goes on, and this is, we, we even sang some of these words again this morning. It goes on and he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Again, it's not that death is our friend. Death is the consequence of sin. But it's no longer separating us from God. As God enters into us, as we would give our lives over, as we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and we are saved, we are no longer of, of, the, of those that have to fear death. Now, I have to be honest with you. There are certain things that I have no desire to go through, and death is one of them. But I know what side of the balance scale I sit on, not because of anything that I have done, but because of what Christ has done. So, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We have this redemption. We have this new creation that we are in Christ. And while we look at a world that has fallen and we look at this, these gender issues and we look at all of these things and, and the world who would say it is malleable and can be changed, God's Word says no. Gender is determined by your sex and God has determined how that is and that is the way it is. There's no you know, idea of, of some lineal line and, and you decide where you want to place yourself on between man and woman. When you look at this, it makes Romans 8 all the more beautiful. 
And some of the, the verses, I, I just want to read verses 31 through 39, the last verses of chapter 8 of Ephesians. talks about God's everlasting love. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and we sang this today too, didn't we? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If He was willing to give up His Son for us, how will He not bless us? We have a value to Him. It's established. Who shall bring, and I love this part too, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercede is who indeed is interceding for us. In other words, the one that has the right to condemn is the one that's interceding for us. No one can top him. Who has the right to condemn you? If you're in Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, uh, you know, for your sake we have been killed, uh, being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. In other words, the persecution that would be going on against the church. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. The best, the worst thing that, that can happen to us in the world's eyes, oh, they can take our life. So they take our life. We win. We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I put next to this, peace with God through Jesus Christ. We are at peace with God. We were enemies. Now we're seated at His table. And that's where it brings us this morning. To his table. We are seated at his table to share with him and remember him for what he has done for us. He asked us to share in the in the the, the the bread and the cup, and as often as we do, to do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. To ask the ushers to come and pass out the emblems, hold them until we've all been served, please, and, and then we'll share together.